It is good to see you. It is good to, I'm aware I've been on your television for the last few months, but it is good to see you in the flesh and in person. Now, I'm aware as a local church, we've been through a lot of change, and in many ways, those changes continue. You're all sitting only half of us this morning together, all with masks on, not singing. But I just want to encourage you, as we continue to gather, we serve an unchanging God who is faithful and good. The same king that died in your place at Calvary, expressing such love. He's not changed towards us. And so keep leaning in. Keep moving towards one another. Keep moving towards the Lord. And one of the most beautiful things at all is his word has not changed at all. And so let's go ahead and turn our Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 10. If you're making notes this morning, I've called this message, The Great Adventure. And I want to encourage you as we go through this text, all the way back in chapter 9, during the transfiguration, there's this moment in the transfiguration where Jesus reveals who he really is, that he's clearly the Christ. And the Father himself looks down at Jesus and a voice like no other comes from heaven, making it clear, this is my son, the chosen one. Listen to him. And so when we come to gather around God's word this morning, we're not just coming to gather around any, any old thing. We're coming to gather around the words of Christ. Words that will set us free, words that will change our lives, words that will bring encouragement where there isn't any, words that will bring favor where there's no favor. The Lord wants to speak to us this morning. And we're going to be addressed by him from Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through to the end of verse 24. This is the words of the Lord. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag a knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter first, say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it, And say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of Sodom, on on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. It will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted in heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. 
And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. For such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no no one knows who the Son is except the Father or who the Father is except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So ask the Lord for his help. Lord, I do thank you for your word. I thank you that it is full of authority and grace and love. Lord, I do pray would you envision us afresh this morning. As you speak, would it be your words that we hear and not merely mine? Lord, redirect us. Refocus us. Help us to keep our eyes on the prize. In your holy and precious name. Amen. You know, back in 2007, my family and I went on holidays to Gran Canaria. Now, the Canary Islands just off Spain, I think somewhere around there. And whilst there, a situation occurred that I will simply never forget. We had a wonderful time. Our kids were just small at the time. Josh was five years old, about that big. Amy was three years old. Lydia was a little baby, so no big at all. And, you know, we used to go on these holidays annually. And in the evenings, when you've got little kids, what do you do? You just stay in a hotel because you can't really go that far because, you know, it's the way it is. Well, when you go on European holidays, it usually means that there is some type of center that's taken over the whole hotel. So there's probably three or four hundred people there. And in the evenings, they would actually put on entertainment for you, for the parents and for the kids, and it's a lot of fun. And so the kids would have their own disco, and they'd be dancing there, and then we would get some entertainment ourselves in the night. Well, I remember one night, the kids had had their disco. It's always It was outside, so there was about four swimming pools around this place, and then right in the middle was a big stage with seating and stuff. And So in the evening, we were there, the kids had had their disco, and then this band came on, and they were just really good. So I enjoyed them. We all enjoyed them. The kids were getting stuck into it. I was getting stuck into it. It was a great time. But as the day evening went on, Josh got tired, which he did then, and he still tends to do now about nine o'clock. So Josh got tired. Um, Lydia, who was a baby, got tired. She needed to go up. Emma was tired. She said, hey, listen, I'll take these two back up. We were on the 12th floor of the apartments. Um, I'll take them back up. You just stay here, enjoy the band, and just bring Amy up when you're done. No problem. One job. So I sat there. Amy was still at the front of the stage, which is over probably by where the back of the room is. She's enjoying the band. I'm enjoying the band over here. She's made some little friends <coughs> at the holiday club. So it's like, that's, that's happy. And as the evening went on, I then got tired and I thought, it's time for bed. So off I went. So I go into the hotel. I press the, the lift. It's taken ages because everybody's trying to use it. Eventually comes. I go up all 12 floors. I go down the hallway. It was a really long hallway as well, as I remember. And I got into the room. And as soon as I got into the room, Emma says, oh, how are you? And says, yeah, it was good. And then she's like, where's Amy? Oh, dear. 
my heart is now missing a beat. I have left my three-year-old girl at well after 10 o'clock at night in a strange country, three years old, cannot swim in the middle of four pools. I am running now as fast as I can. It's become evident to my wife, I do not have Amy present. So I am running as fast as I can down the hallway. I press the, press the lift button, that wasn't coming. So I start to run down 12 flights of steps. My feet only touch the ground, I think, about four times because I was just getting down as fast as I could. As I'm running, I've got these images of, what if she's already in the pool face down? I'm going to have to dive in. I'm just going as fast as I possibly can to get back to my three-year-old girl who's in the middle of swimming pools. And I run down, and at first I can't see her, and then I see her. And she's there at the front of the stage, just watching. And I'm like, thank you, Jesus. So you do what every parent does, you go to her, and where have you been? You know, that type of thing, as if it's her fault. But I'll never forget that moment. I left her side, I lost sight of her for what felt like just a few short moments. But for me, it felt like eternity. But I realized something that day. I learned how easy... It can be to lose sight of things, even important things. You can take your eyes off something, even for a moment, and before you know it, you've got back to your hotel room and you wonder how you even got here. And in truth, one of those things that I think we can so easily take our eyes off is the joyful and glorious adventure that it is to follow Jesus. You see, it's so easy to get distracted from that. It's so easy to forget and to realize, hey, I'm called to follow Jesus and I'm called to deny myself and take up my cross. And so we sort of just grim and bear it and forget, hang on a minute, this ain't just grimming and bearing it. This is a joyful and glorious adventure to follow Jesus with all our heart and all our mind. Yet we can get distracted away from that and then we have something called COVID lockdown for four months. And it's so easy to lose all sight of that and forget, in a sense, who we even really are and what we're actually even called to do. And what I love then about this text that is before us today from verse 1 to 24 is the reality that right here, it is this glorious and joyful adventure of following Jesus that now starts to come into view. And you know, as I was studying this text this week, a text that we would have put aside probably four months ago for today, well, well before we knew what, that we were going to be regathering today. I just sensed the hand of the providence of God saying, this is the one for today. Let's get people back. And I want you to know, I really sense that the Lord is just grabbing our faces this morning and saying, hey, listen, look at me. This is what it's about. Three points then this morning. The great adventure's path Number two, the great adventure's power. And then number three, the great adventure's treasure. But I come to it really just with one hope. And it's the hope that we would see afresh just how incredible and joyful the adventure of following Jesus really is. That we would realize if we've got distracted, that we would put away that distraction and we would come back and realize this is amazing that we get to be a part of this. And that that amazement would then be lavished out in the way we live and the way we rejoice as we get back to this great adventure. So our title this morning is The Great Adventure. And let's look at point one, The Great Adventure's Path. You know, in chapter nine, as I think Brendan has done a wonderful job of preaching, particularly towards the end there, Jesus has spent a great deal of time helping his disciples see that following him is going to involve taking up your cross and denying yourself daily. 
It's not going to be like a walk in the park. It's not going to be always super easy. And he explains at the back end of chapter 9, listen, there is cost involved in this. There is the cost of not being at home in this world. There's the cost of all other commitments becoming completely secondary. There is the cost of abandoning our old ways of life forever. There's no doubt cost in following Jesus. This idea that I just put my faith in him and ask him into my heart and then we're done. I carry on with my life. That's not in the Bible. You know, in the Bible, when we put our faith in Jesus, it isn't just mental assent. It's saying, I'm all in. I take you as my Lord and Savior. I want to follow you with all my might. And Jesus says, good, it's not going to be easy, but come, take up your cross and follow me. But here in chapter 10, what I love is it's not cost that's in view here. It is adventure and it is joy and glory. We don't just deny ourselves and sort of huddle together and try and cope. He's saying, no, 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 this is great. Let's go. Deny yourself, take up the cross and let's go. This is going to be awesome. And right here at the chapter 10, he starts to help us see what this great adventure's path really is. The pathway that we're all called to take as we get involved in this great adventure. And it begins in verse 1. This is what he says. After this, so after telling them all about the cost, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. See, I need you to understand that this great adventure then, when it comes to the path of this great great adventure, the pathway of this great adventure is gospel mission. That's what we have been assigned to. That's what the adventure is all about. Living for Jesus means getting involved in the great adventure of gospel mission. And that's exactly what you see Jesus commissioning 72 people to right here. He appoints 72 disciples to a great task. He sends them out in pairs. It is reminiscent, it seems to me, like Noah's Ark. He's sending them out two by two. But he's sending them out to towns and to cities, to places that he himself is going to be visiting in the remaining remaining months of his life here on earth. So he's sending them out and he's sending them out on mission. And as you read verses 2 to 15, you realize this mission really revolves around two things. It revolves around prayer and it revolves around proclamation. So 72 people gathered, similar numbers to probably what we have in this room in this moment. Two by twos. Let's go. And I want you to pray, and I want you to proclaim. That is what the mission is. So in verse 2, he talks about prayer. It says, and he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into this harvest. See, prayer is all about total dependence upon God. Prayer, in a nutshell, is saying, Lord, i got nothing. I need you. The only way I'm going to be able to manage in this is through you. And he's saying, listen, when it comes to mission, that's exactly right. Just like he says in John 15, verse 5, you, there's nothing you could do apart from me. You need me in all things. And he's teaching his disciples here then that to really be fruitful in mission, then we need to be totally dependent upon the Lord. That's why he goes on to tell them, specifically for them, That as you go out on this mission, I want you to take no money bag, no knapsack, no extra sandals. It's not like we have to do that today, but he's teaching them very specifically, as you go, I want you to be 
totally and utterly dependent upon me. And that's going to be emphasized more than anything in the way they are called to pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. For the harvest is much, but the laborers are few. He's saying, listen, pray. I believe the Father wants to save some. Pray for them so that they may get saved and in turn become disciples and in turn may go out into the harvest. The only way it's going to happen is through prayer. So he wants them to earnestly pray that people come to know him as Lord and Savior. And then he wants them to proclaim. And in verses 9 and 11, he talks about this proclamation. And he makes it clear that the thing he wants them to proclaim as his disciples is the reality that the kingdom of God has come near. What does that mean? Well, in the headline, what Jesus is saying is, listen, go out there and tell them about me. Tell them about who I am. Tell them about why I have come and tell them about what it all means. Tell them who Jesus is. Tell them that I've come for them. Why? Because the kingdom of God has come near. Salvation is nigh and in my hands. Jesus is clear that for all those that put their faith in him as Lord and Savior, in a moment, they can be saved. They can be redeemed and forgiven. Heaven can be their home. And so he sends these 72 out. Please go tell them. For How beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. Just go and tell them so that they may get saved. So he wants them to pray for them, and he wants them to proclaim to them. And so he tells them, as you go, listen, pray for the sick and the needy. Be my hands and feet. But more than anything, proclaim who I am. Their greatest need is not physical. Their greatest need is spiritual and eternal. So please tell them that the kingdom of God is near, so they may turn and put their faith in me as Lord and Savior. See, that is what the Great Commission is all about. That's what the Great Commission was about even then. And he tells them right up front, so that we're not under any um, false auspices here, he tells them it, it isn't always going to be easy. This praying and telling is not going to be easy. I mean, that's why he tells them in verse 4 that he's sending them out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Bit of a giveaway. Yeah, it isn't going to be easy. There's wolves out there. It's not going to be a walk in the park. And he tells them in verse 11, listen, not everybody is going to respond well to you. They're not all all going to hear this proclamation and as a result come to a place of, listen, this is great. Where do I sign? He tells them in verses 12 to 15, listen, not everybody responded well to me either. So he explains to them, listen, Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum, they all rejected me too. When I was sharing with them and telling them about who I am, they didn't listen, they didn't care. That's why he says, listen, it's going to be better for Sodom on that day of judgment than it is for them. Because they're going to realize I had Jesus right there with me. And I totally rejected him. It's more than Sodom actually ever had. So he tells them right up front, this isn't always going to be easy as you go out on mission. This adventure is not a walk in the park. It is indeed a tough mudder for Jesus. And yet what he also tells them is it's going to be totally worth it. Because there will be some that truly will repent of their sin and put their faith in him as Lord and Savior. There will be some that in a moment their eternity will change. In a moment they'll be forgiven and redeemed. Heaven will be their home. And so he concludes in verse 16. The one who hears you hears me. 
And the one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Listen, he's telling them, there's going to be people that reject you, but there's going to be people that hear you. God in, God in his grace will make his appeal through you as in his ambassadors, and he will save some. Through your voice, they will hear the voice of God himself. Through your voice, people will get saved. So go tell them. And so he sends them out two by two into these different towns and these different cities. And my friends, what a pathway of adventure this really is, don't you think? It's not just about, okay, take your cross, deny yourself, and sit tight and hang on until you get to heaven. No. It's great. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and come follow me. That means getting up and let's move forward. And as we move forward, what he's saying is, let's get out there. So many people don't know Jesus. we got to tell them. Who's going to tell them? Well, I'm sending you. My friends, it is this pathway of adventure in headline that we too are called to take. And it couldn't be more clearer that that's the call of God on our lives. See, I think sadly, as a pastor over 21 years now, I've heard people so many times say, I just don't know what I'm meant to be doing in my life. Well, I do. The Bible tells us. There's a clear primary call on our lives. And it's to go make disciples of all nations. Fact. It's what Jesus is saying here. In Luke chapter 4, verse 43, he tells us about what the call of God on his life is. He says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And so he's saying, listen, I've been sent on the greatest rescue mission ever told. I'm going to give my life away as a ransom for many. But there's something prior to that that I must do. Namely, to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. The reality that the kingdom of God is near, that through me, they may get saved. In chapter 9 then, he appoints the 12, as you remember, for this exact mission. Go and tell them about the good news of the kingdom of God. Chapter 10, now 72, you get the clue? 12, now we're 72. Go tell them about the good news of the kingdom of God. And then in Matthew 28... Jesus has now died and risen again, and just prior to ascending to the right hand of the Father, he looks at the disciples in their eyes and commissions them to something, but all they're doing in that moment is representing all those that will come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And this is what Jesus says to them, and indeed to us. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. My friends, if you're wondering what the call of God is on your life, there it is, Matthew 28, verses 18, 19, and 20. It's about going forward and telling people about Jesus. Making disciples of all nations, praying for them. Understand that if I don't pray, nothing's going to happen. And then proclaiming to them about the glories of Jesus, knowing that in their moment, their lives can be changed. Here's the reality, though. How easily we can lose sight of that call, can't we? We get distracted. We move on. We have a COVID lockdown and we completely forget. We're not unusual in that. You see, in verse 4, there's this really quirky bit 
where he says, carry no money bag, no sapduck, no sandals. <clears throat> and then he says, and greet no one on the road. You ever thought that's a bit strange? Sounds a bit rude. It would be for us, right? But like me saying, hey, listen, guys, we're going to walk to Hornsby. Don't say hello to anyone. It's a bit quirky. But that's not exactly what he's saying there. You see, in Jewish tradition, when you greeted somebody, it was not an Aussie thing where you crack, hey, hey, mate, how you going? And you're a couple of seconds negative. When you're greeting somebody in Jewish tradition, you're going to be there for three or four hours. It would be rude to do anything else. You're going to be sitting down with them, having a cup of tea with them. You're going to be spending time with them. It's a real fellowship moment. And so what he's saying, guys, if you start doing that on the way, you are going to get incredibly distracted and you will never get to what you need to do. He's warning them against distraction. And in part, the reason why I think this text is here for us as Christians is because God understands that we get real distracted too. And so what he's saying is, hey, listen, sovereign grace, let me just grab you by the face for a moment. Listen, this is what you're called to do. Pray for people. Proclaim to people. Go make disciples of all nations. That's what this adventure is all about. And oh my, what a helpful reminder it is, isn't it? The adventure's path is all about gospel mission. But if you're like me, you can hear that and you think, okay, I get that. Helpful reminder. Yes, do tend to forget. But oh my goodness, it's only me. You know, I look at myself in the mirror and you're like, you got nothing, pal. We're going to be in trouble here. You are never going to convince anybody to come to know Jesus and you're going to be quaking in your boots as you go. This is a very, very difficult calling you have in your life. Anybody else feel that at different times? Well, that's the second thing that makes this great adventure so great. And it's this, number two, the great adventure's power. See, this adventure comes with power, ladies and gentlemen. It's not just little old you being sent out. It's greater than that. And these disciples started to experience that. You see, in verse 17, it's clear that they have gone out. This is the rendezvous. This is their return. This is the reunion. And this is what they say. Look with me at verses 17 through 19. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. My friends, we don't know how long these disciples were gone out for. But what we do know is having completed their mission, these disciples are filled with ecstatic joy as to what has just taken place in the months prior as they're telling people about Jesus. They cannot contain themselves in this moment with how glorious it has taken place. You know, we don't know what the lead up to this is. But it would appear that all the 72 are rocking back up at the same time, from what we can tell. It appears that maybe they, maybe they have a date in mind where they want this reunion to take place. And I can just imagine now, having walked with these disciples for some months, that they are running towards Jesus. Why? Because I want to tell him. Like kids, you know, when there's good news. I want to tell him. No, I want to tell him. I'm going first. You know, I can imagine they are running towards Jesus. And when they get touched to him, they can barely contain themselves. Listen, listen, Jesus. Oh, it was amazing. Even the demons responded to us. See, why are they picking on that? Why pick up demons? Well, it appears that that was the only thing that Jesus didn't tell them ahead of hand that was actually going to happen. 
He's told him about proclaiming the gospel. He's told him about healing the sick. He didn't tell him that. And so they're coming back and here's what's happening. They're in effect saying in this moment, Jesus, you will never guess what. Well, probably try him. He's God. He tends to know. You will never guess what. It worked. People got saved. People came to know you as Lord and Savior. As we told them about you, they responded to you. They put their faith in you. It's unbelievable. As we prayed for people, their lives were dramatically changed. And guess what? Even the demons responded to us. You see, what they experienced in this moment was the power and presence of God. They realized as they go out, they do not go out by themselves. But God's power is clearly in them. God was responding to their prayers. God was saving people. Even demons are responding. They cannot believe it. But they are overjoyed. Because as they've stepped out in faith in this great adventure, the fruit of that is people have come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and they are overjoyed. Amazed that they had the privilege of being used by God. And make no mistake, they're not the only ones overjoyed in this moment. Jesus also is truly overjoyed. That's why he tells them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. In effect, he's saying, listen, as you were out there preaching, I couldn't see any one of you, but I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. What he's saying here is this. Listen, it's not clear if Jesus is speaking of a vision that he actually had. Some like real life vision that he saw before the heavenly realms or in the spiritual realm. Or if he's just simply giving a very graphic declaration of what has been happening as they've been out preaching. But what is crystal clear here is that as these disciples have been out praying for the lost and preaching to the lost. What Jesus has seen is the chains of bondage that is upon people's lives completely changed. Ching, 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 ching. Things are happening in the spiritual realm in this moment. People who were presently dead, people who were blind are becoming alive and seeing Christ. Bondage to Satan and his power is being broken. Jesus is thrilled and so he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from the heavens. The death knell to Satan has already begun. As the gospel is being preached, people's lives are being changed all around. And Jesus is saying, it's happening. God is being faithful to you. And in this moment, as these disciples return, they are overjoyed. They have been out on mission in this great adventure and they have been experiencing the presence and power of Jesus. And as they go then, they have rightly discerned that as we go, we are never, ever alone. (laughs) We got nothing. We're just regular people. Fishermen and bankers, tax collectors. But we went out and we started to tell people about you. And great things happened. They are experiencing the joy of knowing the presence and power of Jesus on mission. They are realizing that they are never alone. And my friends, I want to encourage you. One of the things that makes our adventure so great is the reality that as we go out on mission, we too are never alone. That's why one of the best verses in Matthew 28 comes not in the Great Commission, but immediately after. When having called us to the great task of making disciples, he says, and behold, I will be with you to the end of the age. 
It's a promise that as you go, you will never be alone. I'll be with you. You know, just a couple of weeks ago, one of our kids, I think it was Amy, but I might be wrong, she wanted to watch a movie as a family, and so I asked the kids, which one do you want to go for? And they chose Prince Caspian, which is C.S. Lewis's Prince Caspian, and I was thrilled by that, because I am a big fan of the Chronicles of Narnia series. And it's a great movie, Prince Caspian, if you've never seen it. It actually takes place in the story about a thousand or so years since and The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. So Susan and Lucy and Peter and Edmund, they've all gone back to London by now. They're out of Narnia. They're these kids again. And they really want to go back to Narnia. And when they do go back to Narnia, when the horn blows and they actually get sent back to Narnia, it's like a thousand years on. And so they're all excited to be back in Narnia, but they've realized it's different. And it's different because the Tau Marines have taken over. This new group, all the Narnians have gone underground. They're all living in trees and out in the forest. And they're like, what has happened? How have we got here? And the whole movie is about the raising of Prince Caspian and how there's going to be a new order to Narnia and how they're to help in that. And right near the end, there's this wonderful scene that's really vivid. And it's all the Tal Marines, the army of the Tal Marines are on one side of this great river. And there's this wooden bridge that goes right over the river. And on the other side, as the, as the army come close, just Lucy comes out. This 13-year-old girl. And she's there with this dagger that's about this big. And she just steps up and just looks at him. And she looks like full of courage, full of grace. And you can see this army with all these bows and arrows thinking, uh, I think we'll probably be fine. We'll probably head over and take her. But she's just standing there full of confidence. And you quickly realize why. Because as she stands there, Aslan, the great lion, starts to move up behind her and he towers over her and he just stands right by her side. You know, all the way through the Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis is doing a wonderful job of helping us see that Aslan, the great lion, is Jesus. That's the way Jesus is with us. And the reason why Lucy then was in no fear in this moment to take on the army, whatever came her way, is because she understood I'm not alone. I've got nothing. I'm just a 13-year-old girl with a small dagger. But he's got a lot. So I'm going to stand here. And she's full of courage in the mission that she's been sent to. Because she knows Aslan stands right by her side. My friends, as we also go out in this great adventure, we can know and should know exactly the same thing. In and of ourselves, we got nothing. But Aslan, the great lion of the tribe of Judah, Jesus himself tells us, Behold, I am with you to the end of the age. I will never leave you. When you're chatting to your friends and you're nervous about telling them about Jesus, when you're in the community and you're nervous about representing Jesus, be aware, Aslan, the great lion, is standing right next to you. He's the one who's sovereignly bringing people across your path. It's not just an accident. The families that we are in, the communities that we are in, the housing places that we are in, the workplaces, they're not an accident. He's bringing people across our path. And if we listen to him, we'll find he's given us words to say as well. Insights, a word in season that can open a conversation. There'll be times when we pray for people and Jesus in his grace will breathe life through that and bring about results. 
more than anything. When we proclaim the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, in and of ourselves, we may stumble over our words. But if the great line of the tribe of Judah roars over that message, in a moment, their lives can be changed. And I know it because it's what happened to you and me as well. (laughs) If that gospel had never been proclaimed, you ain't here. Somebody has faithfully shared the gospel with you and at some point, Aslan, the great lion, has breathed life into that and in a moment, you got saved, right? That's why you're here. And that's the power of the gospel. You never know when the sticky bomb's going to go off, but it can go off. In a moment, things can change. The Apostle Paul picks up on this in the book of Romans. In Romans 10, verse 13, he says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's powerful. Everyone. No one in this world or universe is unable to put their faith in Jesus Christ and as a a fruit, get totally and utterly saved. Everybody who puts their faith in Jesus in a moment is saved. But he tells us in the very verses after, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless so they are sent? For as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. See, he's making it clear. Listen, anybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how are they going to call on the name of the Lord who they don't believe, who they've not heard of? How are they going to hear without people going to them? We need people to be sent. It's almost tongue in cheek. He's saying, it's you. You have been sent as Christians. That's what this great mission is all about. But it's all the way back in chapter 1, verse 16, when he explains to us as Christians how it is that we can go with such confidence. He says this in chapter 1, verse 16. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. See, when the Apostle Paul preached to the preached to people, whether it be one-on-one or in groups, I submit to you in himself, he was like Lucy quaking in his boot with just a small dagger in his hands. But he knew the great line of the tribe of Judah is with me. I have nothing to fear. And so as I stand to proclaim this, my faith is in him that if he wants to, he can roar on people in this moment and their lives can be completely different. He's aware, I got nothing. I'm the weakest of all, he says many times. But the one I worship has got everything. And so I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for the salvation to everyone who believes. And he wanted to tell everyone, understanding when it's preached, it comes with such great power. You know, my friends, I want you to understand when we go out on this great adventure, one of the greatest things about it is understanding we go out never alone. He's always with you, always there to help you. The very fact those people are coming across your path is because he has divinely set it up. He will give you words to say. And as you share the gospel, in a moment, if it be his will, he can completely breathe life into that person. That's his power. We've just got to make our appeal through Jesus. But ultimately, as we share the gospel, 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that he then actually makes his appeal through us. We're just instruments in his hands. The great line of the tribe of Judah speaks through us and in us. 
My friends, this great adventure is great because in part, it's understanding that in it, we're never alone. We go go in the power and presence and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. But then there's one more thing that Jesus, before he concludes, wants them to see about this great adventure, what it is that makes it so great. And it's point three, the great adventure's treasure. See, the disciples are understandably overjoyed with what has taken place. They are overjoyed. People are getting saved. Even the demons are responding to us. This is insane. The power and presence of God is with us as we go forth. And Jesus, though, wants to help them see something. Listen, there's a great, but there's a greater still. And on this mission, there's something even better to rejoice over than the fact that people are getting saved. It's what he says in verse 20 to 22. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal him. You know what Jesus is saying here in this moment through instruction and through prayer is this. It is great that you're excited about mission. And you should be. It's a wonderful thing to play a part in seeing the gospel go forward and seeing the kingdom of God advance. It is a great thing to be a part of that. But there's a greater still. And the greater still is that your names are written in the book of heaven. There's a greater still. You see, your names don't get written in the book of heaven as a result of how well you go in mission. No, your names are written in the book of heaven at the start, which is how you get enrolled into the mission in the first place. Your names are written in the book of heaven because of the fruit of sovereign grace. Your names are written in the book of heaven because in his mercy and grace, he chose you before the foundation of the earth. At the right time, then you heard the gospel preached and you responded in faith, which even that, Ephesians 2 tells us, is a gift from God. And then when you put your faith in him as your Lord and Savior, your names are written in the book of heaven itself. He's helping us see here, listen, it is great to be passionate about mission, and you should be. But be staggered and amazed that you get to be a part of this great adventure at all. See, he knows our fruitfulness in mission will go up and it will go down. There'll be times of great fruit. There'll be times of just very limited fruit. And he knows your emotions are going to be up and down if all you're going to do is dependent upon fruit. So rejoice in this. That your names are written in the book of heaven. Rejoice that he called your name. And he forgave you and redeemed you. And that heaven is your home. And then let that fuel you. To take the knee before the Lord. And then rise and go forth and tell others about him. It's beautiful, isn't it? It's great to rejoice in the mission. But there's something even greater. That in his mercy he came on a mission to us. And through him we got saved. 
He then concludes with these words as he turns to his disciples in verse 23 and then says privately to them, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. He's saying, listen, there have been many prophets and kings over centuries that would have loved to have seen my day that would have loved to have heard my voice directly, that would have loved to encounter me, but they didn't. They died before my time. But blessed are you, because you get to see me and hear me. And my friends, for us, 2,000 years on, we're even even in a greater privilege than even they were, because we get to look back and see it all. We get to look back and see every word of Jesus. We get to look back and see him and hear him and be taught by him. For this is my son, the chosen one. Listen to him. And what we get to hear from him this morning and what we get to see afresh is just how incredible and joyful the adventure of following Jesus really is. And it is, isn't it? I thank God for this reminder in this text because, brothers and sisters, I do believe we can so easily lose sight of this. We can get distracted and then we can get COVID lockdowned. And then everything seems to go thrown out. And I think one of the lasting fruits of COVID, I think for many of us, and definitely it's been a temptation for me, is you just get obsessed with Connie yourself. I just got to get through it. Well, I believe the Lord's taken us by the face this morning and say, listen, I have sustained you. So lift up your eyes and let's go. Two by two. Let's get out there. Let's pray for the lost and let's proclaim the truth of the gospel. Why? Because there's something even more dangerous than COVID out there. And it's the coming wrath of God. And so we've got to tell them so that their lives may be set free. So that we may be a city on a hill, not hidden away, but a city on the hill proclaiming the truth of Jesus Christ. We can so easily lose sight of that, I think. Just like I lost sight of Amy all those years ago and ended up back in my hotel room with not a care in the world. But totally distracted from what I was meant to be doing, which was looking after her. Brothers and sisters, what we're meant to be doing is praying for the lost. And proclaiming the truth of Jesus Christ to them so they may understand who he is and why he came and what that all means. So I just have two questions that I want to, just by way of application, leave you with. To think about over lunch, think about this afternoon, maybe even chat about in your gospel communities this week. Two questions that I think will help us just apply this message. As Patrick prayed so wonderfully early on, we're not blessed in our hearing. We're blessed in our doing. So here's the questions. Number one, who are the people that God is putting on your heart to earnestly pray for? Who are they? See, Jesus is calling this group in this moment to specifically pray for the towns and the cities that he's about to go into. He wants them to carry them on his heart, on their hearts. Who is the Lord wanting you to carry on your heart and earnestly pray for? You ain't going to be able to convince them yourself. It ain't going to happen. It's only Jesus that can change their lives. You need God to break in. All you are is Lucy going out with a little dagger. It's not that impressive. So who are we praying to God for? And then number two, 
Who are the people that God is putting on your heart to proclaim to? To tell. Without gospel proclamation, no lives are changed. So who is it that the Lord is putting on your heart and stirring you to go out and tell about him so that they may get saved? Listen, that's what we're called to. To pray and to go. That is the great adventure. Let's pray. Jesus, I do thank you for your kind and encouraging words to us. I thank you for the way you're so gentle with us and yet so clear. You take us by the hand at different points and take us by the face and just ask us to listen to you. Oh Lord, I do sense that you have been regathering us as a local church today. Not only pulling us back together in person, but pulling us back together to help us see what this great adventure really is. Lord, thank you for living with us in such an understanding way. Dealing with us with such grace and lowliness and gentleness. And Lord, as we go out, would we go out like these disciples, realizing the only way we're going to get this done is by being totally and utterly dependent upon you. Totally in need of you. So Lord, help us to pray. Help us to lift our eyes to the hills. And help us to go. Would we eyes have eyes for you? And would we have eyes for the lost? And may we go. In Jesus' name.